Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Good morning and welcome to Sojourn Church. My name is Matt. If you are new with us, I'm the pastor here. A couple of things for the visitors in the room. The bathrooms are through this door and downstairs. So you may be wondering, where is our bathroom if I need it? That's where you can find it. And for those kids six and under, uh, we'll have the kids table out in the lobby. So go ahead and go out there for uh, this next part of our service. Uh, In addition to our mission team that we have here from Florida, welcome to you guys. As Andrea said a few minutes ago, we also have some special guests, especially to me, my parents, who are here for the next month. Uh, They live stream probably almost every week, so they're kind of pseudo part of Sojourn anyway, but they're here in person for the next four weeks. And so you'll see some, uh, they'll become familiar faces and helping out and jumping in with everything that we are doing. Uh, This morning, we're continuing our series, Sojourners, where we have been in the book of 1 Peter for several months now, and uh, we have about three Sundays left, so we're getting near the end of finishing up this book, but go ahead and open your Bibles, if you have one this morning, to the book of 1 Peter. We'll be looking at verses, uh, our chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. Uh, Let me pray for us, and we'll get into our message this morning. God, we come to you and thank you for who you are. God, that you made a way for every single man, woman, and child, regardless where we are from, where we're born, our background, our race, our gender, our socioeconomic status, God, that that you made a way that we can be reconciled to God. And so we thank you for that, God. That's why we gather to praise you. And we come together to lift up your name. So God, I ask now as we look at your word that it would not return void. Your spirit would rest upon us, as that song says. And God, that you'd move me out of the way, that your spirit would speak to us and make your word very clear. It's in your name. Amen. If you were to make a list of spiritual areas that you would like to grow in, what would you put on that list? Some of of us might do this in January, at New Year's, right? We're making resolutions or goals, and we say, I'm going to read the Bible in a year. Or sometimes I'm making over hardcore, like, I'm reading the Bible this month. Um, and I'm like, good luck with that. I'm joining the group that's doing it in a year. Or I'm reading the New Testament. This. So, so maybe your list includes scripture reading. Or maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's fasting. Maybe it's Sabbath, an idea of resting, which we're really horrible at doing as Americans. Maybe it's generosity. Like, I want to I wanna be more generous in my time, my talent, my treasure. But how many of you would put on that list Preparing to suffer well. I'm not sure that any of us would have that at the top of our list. We may not include it at all. We probably avoid that one. While Peter has talked about suffering a lot in this letter, his main aim has been to prepare us for suffering, for the reality of unjust suffering that will come upon Christians. Peter's trying to help equip us to respond well and to give us hope during. Now, we might hear unjust suffering and we think this isn't actually that relevant to our time and place in our culture. Because, let's be honest, up until this point in our own country, it's been relatively easy to be a Christian. 
And while that is true, in the words of Bob Dylan, the great theologian, the times, they are a-changing. And it's only getting increasingly harder to be a Christian in our time and place. You may have heard the phrase, in this cultural moment. Regardless how relevant this past, or this letter maybe has seemed to us, Peter's original audience were not yet being persecuted. I think that's important for us, because we know that persecution does come, but when he's writing this to them, they're actually not being persecuted yet. What they were experiencing is very similar to what we will likely experience in our time and place for our own Christian faith. Tony Marita, a pastor in Raleigh says, we may not be assaulted for our faith, but we will be insulted for our faith. And if you haven't experienced that, you probably will experience it. Being mocked when we abstain from the passions of the flesh, remember two weeks ago, that's the language that Peter used, he told us to abstain from these things. You'll likely be insulted for holding to a biblical view of marriage. You'll likely be insulted for holding to a biblical view of life. Be likely insulted for believing there's a creator God, that we all came from God. You'll likely be insulted for holding to this idea of sin and, and judgment and, and hell. Those are the parts that we like to just kind of erase from Scripture. And so the longer we live in a post-Christian world, and our city's kind of leading, leading that charge, the more we will experience this firsthand. Which is why we must resolve in our hearts, and I think what Peter's trying to help us do, and hopefully what, what I'll help us do this morning, is we must resolve that it's better to suffer momentarily than it is to compromise. Than it is to give in. It's not always easier, but in the long run it's better. Now, it's likely that some of you in here have gone through significant seasons, or maybe you're in a significant season of suffering. Peter is going to encourage you to suffer well. He's not denying that suffering's happening. He's not denying that suffering's taking place. But he's saying suffer well in your suffering. This is important for a couple of reasons. First, the inevitability of suffering. The question is not if we will suffer. The question is when we will suffer. Second is the result of suffering. There's pretty much two options. Two things take place when we suffer. And I've seen this happen. I've been following the Lord long enough now. I would even say I've been in vocational ministry long enough now that this is what you see what happens when someone suffers, specifically in the life of a Christian. It either draws you near to the Lord in that moment of suffering, and you kind of lean in, and you kind of lay yourself at the feet of Jesus and just say, Jesus, like, I've got nothing else. Or, and this is one, the harder one as a, as a pastor you see, it turns your heart away from the Lord. You see people become bitter. They become angry. They say, I'm leaving the church. I'm no longer following Jesus. I saw a friend appear on Facebook this week. Grew up in a similar environment and similar background and I just saw like he, he shared something said this is why I left and so I kind of responded you know that it saddens me to see people leave because of you know different different things in life that take place but oftentimes what we see we become bitter angry instead of leaning in towards Jesus and so the time to prepare your heart to suffer well 
is not when you're suffering. I think sometimes we wait until that moment. You get that diagnosis of cancer. You, you get that uh, something happening in your family, and then it's like, what are we going to do? The time of prayer, your heart is long before it comes, so that you are ready, and so that when it does happen, you know how it is that you're going to respond. It's similar to uh, an army. We talked about, I think it was last week, week before. You don't prepare for battle as you're being shot at. They don't send you out there and then all of a sudden, you know, you're in the middle of the war. You actually prepare long before combat so that when you get in that moment, you know how to respond. You know what it is to do. And so the time to prepare for suffering is before it ever comes into our lives. So how do we suffer well as a follower of Christ? That's what we're going to look at this morning. These won't be listed yet, but we're going to be looking at don't be surprised by suffering. We're going to see how it is we can rejoice even when we are suffering. We're going to see that we don't suffer for the wrong reasons. Don't be ashamed to suffer as a Christian. That God uses our suffering to purify his church. And then finally, we'll look at entrusting your soul to your faithful creator. So point number one this morning, don't be surprised by suffering. Verse 12, 1 Peter 4, says this. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. So Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised. Now, Peter is using genuine care, but he's using this term beloved. If you call someone beloved, that's what they're expressing to you. And he's giving us an advance warning. He's saying, I love you so much, I want you to know that suffering is coming. Regardless of how good your life might be going in this moment, I want to let you know that it's going to come. It's like when a pilot tells you that there is turbulence, so to sit in your seat and put your seatbelt on, this turbulence is coming. Now, we had some people fly here from Florida. I don't know if you experienced any turbulence. You usually get over, like, Kansas, those flyover states. I remember one time I had a cup of coffee. It, like, literally came out of my seat. I almost went on my laptop. But we appreciate it when the pilot says, please take your seats, put on your seatbelt. We're about to experience turbulence. That way, when it comes and you're shaking like this and you're trying to keep your food down, but at least you're strapped in. That's what Peter's doing. He's saying, look, things might seem like they're smooth sailing right now, but suffering is coming. And I want to help prepare you for it. So he tells them, do not be surprised because Christian suffering is not the exception, but rather Christian suffering is the norm. Now, we have grown up with a generation of Christians where being persecuted for our faith is, for the most part, non-existent. Once again, we live in this country, and, and thank God we have the freedoms that we do. But to the point when it does come, when we do experience some level of it, we're surprised and shocked by it, and we're not prepared for it. I think this is where the political stuff gets kind of mixed in with it. We go, wait a minute. This is a Christian nation. Well, Peter's telling us, regardless of what nation you live in, suffering is coming. And when it does come, it's almost more like, this is what we were warned about. This is normative. We shouldn't be surprised by this. And notice that Peter says, when Christian suffering comes upon you, not if it comes upon you. So if anything, it's abnormal if you aren't experiencing it. It's abnormal if you've never experienced it. Brother Andrew, the Dutch missionary, tells a story that took place before the end of the Cold War. 
He was sitting in Budapest, Budapest, Hungary, with a dozen pastors of that city teaching from the Bible. As he's teaching, an old friend walked in, a pastor from Romania who had recently been released from prison. Brother Andrew said they stopped teaching because he knew it was time to listen. After a long pause, the Romanian pastor said, Andrew, are there any pastors in prison in Holland? No, he replied. The pastor said, why not? Brother Andrew thought for a moment. He said, I think it must be because we do not take advantage of the opportunities God gives us. Then came the most difficult question. Andrew, what do you do with 2 Timothy 3.12? Brother Andrew opened his Bible. He flipped to 2 Timothy 3.12. And he read aloud, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Closed the Bible slowly and said, Brother, please forgive me. We do nothing with that verse. Church, what do we do with passages like 2 Timothy 3.12 and 1 Peter 4.12? As hard as it may be to realize this, but to identify with Jesus is to suffer. Therefore, do not be surprised when fiery trials of life come your way. But be surprised when you do not suffer. So that was our first point. Don't be surprised by suffering. Point number two. Rejoice even when you are suffering. Verses 13 and 14. It says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when, glory, when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. So instead of being thrown off by the trials, instead of saying, why is this happening to me? This isn't fair. Why is, why is this happening to me in my life? We are to rejoice insofar that we share in Christ's sufferings. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, there's a book of Daniel. There's a story of these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refused to bow down and worship the golden statue and they replied to King Nebuchadnezzar in verse 17. I think I have a slide maybe of verse 17. There it is, verse 17. They said, if the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. I mean, that's pretty bold to be saying that to the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. So the three men, if you're familiar with the story, they're bound up, they're thrown into the fire. The flames were so hot that it killed the men who were throwing them into the fiery furnace. Okay, I love sitting around a fire pit. Man, I like to get those things blazing. We burned my Christmas tree just a couple of weeks ago. I intentionally hold on to them. And man, that thing is hot. You gotta like step back. So these men were killed because the flames were so hot as they threw these three men into the fire. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar, he looked up, and, or he looked down into the fiery furnace and he saw there was four men and they weren't tied up, but they were actually walking around the fire unharmed. And the fourth one looked like a son of the gods. Verse 26 of Daniel 3 says, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of the blazing fire, and he called out for them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. 
They violated the king's commands and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. They had resolved in their heart what they would do if it got to the point of them being threatened to be thrown to a fiery furnace. They didn't compromise. They didn't give in. They said, even if we burn up in this, God will be glorified. We will, go, we will be with God. But God spared them in spite of that. Tom Schreiner, New Testament scholar, he said, how believers respond to suffering, in other words, is an indication of whether they truly belong to God at all. It's easy to respond in the good times. It's easy to respond when things are going well. It's easy to respond when your job's providing for you and you have a, a comfortable place to sleep and you have a vehicle to drive and, and things just seem to be going well, right? And it's easy, but what about when things aren't going well? What about when the trials of life hit you? Then are you going to praise God? I told you last week about my friend Clark's battle with cancer. I've been thinking about that a lot this week because he was my age when he passed away. I know that Clark desired to be healed. I know that he desired to live a long, happy life. He desired to have a long marriage. He desired to have children of his own. But I also know that Clark lived his life in such a way that he was still able to rejoice even in his suffering. In the worst suffering of his life, a cancer that there's no cure for that eventually did take his earthly life. But he realized that even if cancer took his life on this earth, that being in the presence of the Lord is still better. And that it can only take so much from him. He realized that being in the presence of the Lord is better than the best marriage you can ever have in this life. He realized being in the presence of the Lord is better than all of the, the best behaved children you can ever have. He realized that being in the presence of the Lord is better than living a long, happy life on this earth. But the only way that we can experience this is on the other side of suffering. This is the secret to suffering well. Realizing it's only here and now. It's momentary. If we have this view of eternity. If we know that we'll be in the presence of the Lord on the other side of suffering. And so righteous suffering is a unique opportunity for us to experience the nearness of God. But here's the hard truth. If you've never experienced the nearness of the Lord, if you've never experienced the presence of the Lord, then this will not be much motivation for you. Because you go, I've, I've not experienced that. Why would, I, why would I be okay with that? Well, verse 14 says, the spirit of glory in God rest upon you. In other words, this, this unique and powerful way that we experience the presence of God that we can't experience anywhere else. Turn to Jesus. It's the only way to endure the trials and suffering of this life with a hope for eternity, a hope that he's already given us and offered us in himself. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Anybody brokenhearted in here this morning? The Lord is near you and saves the crushed in spirit. So hear this. If you are a believer and you're experiencing suffering, God is not abandoning you. God is near you. He's right there with you in your moment of suffering. Use it as an opportunity to draw near to him because he has already drawn near to you. 
And so this is the reason you can rejoice even when you're suffering. Point number three. I promise you these get faster. Don't suffer for the wrong reasons. This one's pretty self-explanatory, but verse 15. It says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or of an evildoer as a meddler. So we've already been told we will suffer as a result of our faith. Okay? That's in this column. But we must not confuse suffering as a result of our failings. So Peter covers this wide spectrum of sin, going from being a murderer to being a busybody. And he says, look, don't suffer for these reasons. Because you, you will suffer for these reasons. And the temptation is when, when we fall into something like this, we will then equate that with it's Christian suffering. Well, if it's a result of your life and a result of your sin, that is not Christian suffering. That's not what he's talking about here. That's part of the fall and part of your own humanness and part of your own mistake. Remember, Peter's told us last week, time's short. <laughs> we don't have time to be messing around. And so Peter's told us already, there will be sin. Okay, sometimes we're surprised when there's sin in the church, but guess what? We all still sin. So he says, there will be sin, but don't suffer for the wrong reasons. Suffer for righteousness' sake, not for unrighteousness' sake. Suffer for Jesus, not for being a jerk. Point number four. Don't be ashamed to suffer as a Christian. Look at verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. <clears throat> if Jesus Christ is more valuable to you than any person or anything else in this life, instead of being ashamed, what Peter is suggesting for us is an alternative. But let him glorify God in that name. Church, we have no reason to be ashamed to be called Christians. Now, I know terms matter, so I will add this to that. When someone says, are you this, you need to ask what they mean by that. This week, I was in a meeting. I said, sometimes I'm in a conversation, and they'll say, oh, you're an evangelical Christian. And I'll say, what do you mean by evangelical Christian? And they'll say these things, and you find these in the Bible. I say, 100%, I'm an evangelical Christian. Other times I'm in conversation, somebody says, you're an evangelical Christian. I'll say, what do you mean by evangelical Christian? Well, you're this and this and this, all the, the negative stuff, the stuff that we don't see of, of, of being like Jesus and practicing his way. I said, oh, no, I'm not one of those evangelical Christians. <laughs> so terms do matter. But if we're living out a, a, a biblical New Testament Christianity, following and practicing the way of Jesus, then we have no reason to be ashamed for living that way. And so we live our lives, we glorify God as Christians, when we live our lives in a manner that reflects his character. That is how we glorify God. That's how we point others to glorify God. But in order to do so, we must allow the Bible and Jesus to shape our view of suffering. So that we're not surprised when we face it, even as American Christians who have lived in a very comfortable as a whole. Nor should we be ashamed of it when that suffering comes upon us. If anything, we get to relate with our brothers and sisters all over the world and where it's more normative. In fact, this is a good reminder for us this week to, to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. Those who don't have the freedoms like we have. 
Those who are being physically beat for their faith in Jesus. The same Jesus that you and I can raise our hands to and sing that by his spirit resting upon us that they are being persecuted for their faith, even as we speak, possibly even killed today. Point number five, God uses suffering to purify his church. Verse 17 and 18, 1 Peter 4. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So he says, for the time has come for judgment to begin with the household of God. He's kind of putting verses 12 through 16 in a broader theological context by telling us that judgment will begin with God's house. He's alluding to Ezekiel 9 and Malachi 3, where the Lord is purifying his people. See, the judgment here he's talking about, it's not punitive, but it is purifying and cleansing. And so God uses our suffering to refine his people. God uses the suffering we endure to, to make us more and more into his likeness. And God is also exposing false believers within the church. So remember the two options when suffering comes our way, right? Suffering comes your way as a Christ follower. You can lean into Jesus or you can turn away in bitterness and anger and rage. I'm not implying that this never happens and they're not truly a Christian, but if they do this to the degree to where they walk away and they never return, well, that was part of the purification process. When you suffer, you'll see who's in and who's out. I think COVID-19, the pandemic, I know it's still... 4.0, whatever level we're at, but at least we're, we're not wearing masks. I can breathe when I preach. Uh, we're, we're, we're getting back to some level of normative. But I think that pandemic in its own form of suffering, we saw this in the church. I know churches in our own city, some of the larger ones. I know we don't have really large church or city. We had about 1,000 people who now have about four or 500 gathering on Sunday. Even us, we've never been a very big church, but we literally got down to like my family and maybe one or two others. And then we said, all right, God, what are we going to do? God said, buckle up. We're going to keep going. But God refined his church. Some people say, I'm, I'm done. I don't want to be in it anymore. So when you suffer, God is helping refine us. Juan Sanchez, he says, suffering will both reveal his people as he brings them through it. And that's a promise in itself to hold on to, that God will bring you through it. And until you've experienced true suffering and you've been on the other side, you can look back, it's hard for us to see that. It's like your children going through a hard time and you remember that time you went through, like middle school was really hard for most of us. And you're like, you'll get through this too. Oh, I remember that. I remember the awkward dance in middle school. I remember this and, and this. And you're like, you can see it, but until they go through it, they're like, I don't, no way, I don't get it. So he says, suffering will both reveal his people as he brings them through it and expose those who are not his people as they fail to trust Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Jesus will, however, perfect his bride. Jesus is refining and purifying us, his people, the church. And so God's judgment, it says here, he begins with the church. I know we're quick to look outside the church, but it says he's going to begin with us and he'll later move outward to judge those outside the church. In other words, the refining fire of judgment, no one is left untouched. In the church, out of the church. But as Christians, we're being strengthened and purified by it. 
as we trust in God and his holiness and his growing in us. Finally, point number six this morning. Entrust your soul to your faithful creator. Look at verse 19. It says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This verse encapsulates the entire message of 1 Peter. That believers suffer in accordance with God's will. For he rules over everything that happens to them. We see that those who suffer according to God's will are those who share in Christ's suffering. Saw that in verse 12. We're those who are insulted in Christ's name, verse 14. And we are those who suffer as Christians rather than doing something evil, verses 15 and 16. And so he says here in this last verse that the way that believers reveal that they are trusting God is how? Doing good. Continue doing good even as you suffer. Because here's what happens, at least in my life, when I suffer. I'm like, what's this guy? I've, probably, I've told this story a number of times, but there's enough new face you haven't heard this. But we served overseas, my family did, in South Asia. It's a hard place to live, hard place to serve. And we came back, and I was like, couldn't find a job. I sold all my belongings. I was sleeping. I literally slept on a baby mattress for a couple of nights because we had nothing else in the house. I couldn't get this job. I finally got a job at this coffee shop, and I was like, I mean, I love coffee, but it wasn't paying the bills for a family of, at that time, two kids. And I was like, God, what are you doing? You owe me. I'm on, I'm on a varsity team, God. I'm on to South Asia. It's a really hard place to live. It wasn't the right posture. It wasn't the right attitude. I said I need to lean into God and say, God, what are you doing this season? So maybe that's for someone this morning. Maybe you need to hear that. I know it's not easy. I said, God, what are you, what are you doing? I don't understand God. God can handle those conversations. I don't understand. What are you doing? Help me see what I don't see. And if you're like me, I'm like, God, I want to learn it really quickly so I can get out of this season <laughs> and go to the next one. Because what's funny is God actually, I left that job and got a better paying job. And I, I've hated that job probably worse than any job I've ever had. And I was like, God, thank you. But wait a minute. This is, I'm still suffering here. And took me through that. But the, the creator God is sovereign over all things. And if we believe that, he's sovereign over our lives what we are experiencing, the good and the bad. And he is faithful in all things. God's faithful and we're not faithful. We have to be reminded of that. He's faithful so that we can therefore live as sojourners, as suffering sojourners. We don't have to be surprised or despair when the suffering comes our way. We can still live a joy-filled, God-glorifying life in trusting him. I think sometimes we hear this, man, when we suffer as Christians, then life has to be just down. Like, no, we can live a joyful life. He tells us to rejoice in our suffering. Of all people, we should rejoice because it only is in this life. Once we're with him, it's over. And so we should walk through this life with a joy, inexplainable, unexplainable joy that we can share with others, all the while doing good. No matter what the world may do to us. Second week in this series, I told you about singer-songwriter Nightbird. She became famous on America's Got Talent performing her song, It's Okay. I almost asked Ben to, to do that song this morning. It's not really a worship song, but if you remember, Nightbird's life was anything but okay. 2017, Nightbird received her first cancer diagnosis. She had six months to live as she was battling stage three breast cancer. 
2018, she was declared cancer-free, but her celebration was short-lived. A few months later, she began her second battle with cancer, but she was facing single-digit chances of survival. Her battle became all the more lonelier when her husband of five years, the one that is going to stand by you, he left her. She went on alone, winning her second battle of cancer in July 2020. When Nightbird auditioned for America's Got Talent, she revealed her cancer was back, but now it was in her liver, her spine, and her lungs. Everyone was captivated by Nightbird's story because hope and joy are not natural responses when we are going through suffering. When your life is falling apart, but your response is a hope and joy, that'll get your attention. But her hope originated in God. She said, I believe that God can heal in one instant. I also believe that no good thing does he withhold. So there was something God was growing in the field that is me. And if God had pulled up all of this hardship too soon, it would have also pulled up all these miracles he did in my spirit. On her blog, she wrote, maybe we missed it. What God showed us when he first introduced himself that he will crawl into the dirt to be near us. And he will fill our lungs with air when we don't know how to breathe. She chose her stage name, Nightbird, because of what it communicates. It communicates hope. She said, even when I'm in the middle of a dark time, there are no signs that it will end. I want to be the bird that sings in anticipation of the good things that I trust are coming. Nightbird did not sugarcoat her suffering. And, and God used her suffering on public display. Even if you don't watch America's Got Talent, you may have heard of Nightbird. In a blog post called uh, titled God is on the Bathroom Floor, you can find all this online. I encourage you to look her up and, and go back and read through some of it. She poetically details how she wrestled with God through this trial. She said, I remind myself that I'm praying to the God who let the Israelites stay lost for decades. They begged to arrive in the promised land but instead, he let them wander, answering prayers they didn't pray. For 40 years, their shoes didn't wear out. Fire lit their path each night. Every morning, he sent them mercy bread from heaven. I look hard for the answers to the prayers that I didn't pray. In another one, she wrote, when it comes to pain, God isn't often in the business of taking it away. Instead, he adds to it. He is more of a giver than a taker. He doesn't take away my darkness. He adds light. He doesn't spare me of thirst. He brings water. He doesn't cure my loneliness. He comes near. So why do we believe that when we are in pain, it must mean that God is far? Church, we are called to suffer. And Peter has shown us how to suffer well. And that's my prayer for us as Sojourn Church in the city of Portland, that we will endure suffering here and now as sojourners, no matter what may come our way, that we can continue to lean into Jesus and to follow him, suffer well, and glorify him for his name, for his glory. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us and we'll respond. God, we thank you for you. Thank you for being our Holy Father who cared so much about your creation that you didn't give up on us when we gave up on you. That even when we turned our back on you and chose our own way of life, that you still saw fit to send your son Jesus 
pay the penalty of death that we deserve. God, as a result of the fall, as a result of sin, we will suffer in this life. But as those of us who are in you, it will only be in this life. And so, God, may we be people who can endure and suffer well as we keep our eyes and our gaze on you. God, may we be reminded that this is the message of hope that we carry to those around us. God, we encourage one another as those who are in Christ and those who say, I'm not sure yet, or maybe I don't believe or follow at all. God, that we can offer this same hope to them. Because God, you did this not for some people, but you did this for all people. That all may hear, that all may know. And that all may join the journey of learning what it means to follow you. And so that when we suffer, we can continue to turn to you as you answer the prayers that we do pray. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.